Welcome to Beyond the Bottom Line with Anna Letitia Cook. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Bottom Line. Today, we're really pleased to welcome Alexis Costello. Uh, we haven't spoken for about three years, but last time was fascinating. Alexis is a specialized kinesiology instructor with different modalities, also the publisher of Kinesio Geek magazine, which is fascinating. You definitely need to look at that. And even more interesting for me, She's living self-sufficiently in the jungle of Costa Rica with her family, a homeschooling mom and also home studying, which I think is amazing. And I'm so jealous. I would love to do that. So welcome to the show. I'm so pleased you're here. Thank you. I'm really glad that we're going to get a chance to catch up again after the last couple of very strange years. I know. It's been really weird, hasn't it? The things that have gone on, I can't believe it. But So tell me, I think it's three years maybe that we spoke last time and we were talking very much about mind-body health and also the importance of that in empowerment in general, as well as everything you do with specialised kinesiology. So what have you seen? Have you seen an increase in people's awareness over the last few years and have there been any more new developments because I know it's a very much an evolving practice and it's getting more and more supporters and you know better known so what's been happening with it it's an interesting question because I think overall the trend has very much been in the last few years for people to become more self-aware. I think people are a lot more interested in self-care. And there are, um, you know, researchers and writers like Brene Brown, for instance, that have really been groundbreaking in helping women to understand, especially, you know, because I know that that, that's your readership and um, (laughs) your viewership, I guess I should say, Uh, you know, to step into our power in a feminine way, right? Like that we're not trying to... um, we're embracing who we are in a different way in the workplace, I think, and going, you know, I'm not trying to be one of the guys. I'm not one of the guys. I'm different and I'm better in my own way, right? And we're good at different things and really stepping into our power. We don't have to choose between being um, moms and having a career. So all of those, all of those things that we knew, I mean, those are all things that have been part of feminist movements for years now, but I think there's a softness that's coming through understanding ourselves better in this yes. last little while and feeling like um, we're not in this space of competition the way that we used to be. Yep. So that's been really wonderful to see. And, you know, I, I have felt the, um, the implications of that in my own fields, you know, just um, embracing our vulnerability, embracing our imperfections and it being okay. Yeah. Then the other side of it, though, is that there's been a, a shift in the world in this last couple of years with COVID. And the blessing that I think came out of that for a lot of people was that the way that we've been doing things stopped. Yep. And this isn't to downplay the fact that for a lot of people, there's been a lot of economic hardship or physical hardship in this last little while. But if we stop and we go, what's come out of that? Um the business model that had been in place for a really long time, it's changed. Yeah. 
And so you got a lot of people suddenly working from home, a lot of people in new positions, um, you know, people changing the way they relate to each other, the way that we relate to our teammates and our workmates and our clients. So in some ways, that's been good because I think as people have been coming back into the workforce, you know, as places are opening up again, they're including some of the things that we've learned over yes. the last year. Yes. And um, something I've been hearing from people who are business than I am is that, you know, they're feeling a little more supported in their office space than maybe they used to be. Yes. A lot of women coming back into the office going, you know, when my boss had to spend a few months trying to work from home with his kids, he's suddenly a lot more appreciative of the things <laughs> that I'm doing, right? It's like, okay, maybe, maybe not. Um, but, you know, a forced pause isn't a bad thing. Yeah. So yeah. we have an opportunity to kind of move forward from here, I think, um, noticing what's working for us in our yes. health and what needed to have a pause for our own mental emotional well-being. Yeah. I know you were talking to me earlier about um, emotional and informational overload, which I think is linked to what you've just been saying. Um, I'm sure it was there before, but during the, the process of COVID and being stuck at home and not in the office, we didn't have the same distractions. We didn't have the same possibility of actually going out and I don't know, doing sport or walking the dog or any of the things that we would normally do. And being stuck at home with family, with kids, with everyone, it's not easy, particularly if you're living in a very small environment and you're not used to all being together. So I think the, the point you made um, that there are definite issues with emotional and informational overload, it's a really good thing to discuss here um, because people are still struggling with it even though they are beginning to go back to the office and it's something just from social media from you know all the emails all the junk that you get even in a non-post-covid situation you've got those types of problems um, you've got people addicted to their phone or addicted, I mean, addicted is a strong word, but very highly distracted by things like that. So from your expertise, what would you say about it? What's the awareness of it? And have you got any ideas or approaches that we can use practically, you know, to try and cut the habit or to calm the emotions? What would you advise? Because you're the expert on mind-body health. I'm fascinated, but I'm not the expert. <laughs> well, one of the things that I've read about a lot in the last few years is um, about cognitive load. Yeah. And that's something that I've tried to work with before when I do um, business coaching with, yeah. other, with other women. It's like your brain can only make so many decisions in a day. Yeah. Right. And you've probably read some of those same things that I have that show that, like, if you go back a generation or two, the amount of decisions somebody had to make in a day were relatively few. Yeah. Right. And when you only have to make a few decisions in a day, your brain stays in a pretty mellow kind of state. Yeah. We have so much information. We make so many choices all the time. Most of the choices don't matter. They're superficial choices. Right. Yeah. But 
it still takes up a certain amount of our will and motivation and brain power. And so when we've got a lot of information flying at us all the time, it's actually exhausting. And one of the things that it does is it makes it very difficult for us to focus on and concentrate on the things that do matter. Yeah. So we end up kind of exhausting ourselves mentally before we even get to the tasks that we want to pay attention to. Yeah. And I'm really seeing this with a lot of young people right now. So um, working a lot with children and with teenagers with a lot of mental health issues. And oh, really? of, even with children and teenagers? With children and teenagers. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, I used to work a lot with like at-risk teens and kids with depression and anxiety and um, you know, suicidal tendencies and that sort of thing. Yeah. And we're seeing it younger right now. Yeah. And I think part of it is that the overall anxiety about the world is so high. Yeah. Like, and their access to it is so high. Right. Yeah. So, you know, my uh, my little one, he's going to be nine at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, he's on a device a lot more than his older siblings were at this same age, because this is how he's accessing school. This is yeah. how yeah. he's accessing different programs. This is how he's speaking to his friends. Yeah. And so it's very hard to shield him from all of the junk that's coming in, right? Yep. Like you can monitor what they're doing, but there's still a lot of information yeah. coming in. And so there's a lot of like, what's happening? You know, it, yeah. is everyone dying? Is, are people ever going to be allowed to travel again? Are we ever going to see family in other countries again? Yeah. Someone his age shouldn't really be worried about that. Yes, exactly. So we need to be able to find ways of um, turning off some of that extra information and being able to kind of focus back on what's really important to us at this moment in time. And as you had said before, it's difficult when some of the more traditional outlets have been taken away from some people. If you don't have a spot where you can go run around outside yep. or go connect with a good friend or something like that, then how do we get those things? Um, Specialized kinesiology, so just as an explanation really quickly, because that's a, a term that a lot of people maybe aren't familiar with, when we're talking about that, I'm talking about the world of using muscle response testing as a biofeedback mechanism. Yep. So the idea is that a practitioner can use your muscles to figure out where there's stress in your body, what would be helpful in order to bring <clears throat> excuse me, energy back into your body so that you're experiencing more balance and flow. A lot of the modalities and techniques are based from Chinese medicine, yes. like traditional Chinese medicine and the acupuncture system. Um, so there's a huge range of technique that's in there, but there are a lot of techniques that are sort of designed for self-help, self-noticing. Yeah. And that's what I'm really trying to share with, um, especially a lot of the young people that I'm working with right now, so that they feel empowered. Yep. So a really simple one, and I honestly can't remember if we talked about this the last time you and I had a conversation. If I had been on it, I would have listened to our last conversation <laughs> before I got into this one. I listened to it years ago when it came out. <laughs> but there is a technique that you find in the kinesiology world. It's sometimes called ESR, which stands for emotional stress release. Yeah. Or it can be referred to as frontal occipital holding. And as a technique, this is really easy. What you do is either as a practitioner or a person themselves, 
puts a hand basically just here over top of the forehead. Yeah. So, and then another hand here at the back of the head. And usually you do this while you're thinking about whatever is causing you the stress. If you want to be a little more scientific about it, you can do a self-assessment before you start doing this technique. So I think about the news article I just read that's obviously causing me some anxiety or um, a situation that I have to walk into that's causing me some stress. And I might think about, okay, how stressful is that for me right now? Maybe it's a seven on a scale of one to 10. Okay, so I'm noticing that. I'm placing my hands here. I'm taking some deep breaths. And the hand that's on my forehead is very light. It's not applying a lot of pressure or anything like that. This isn't about compressing anything. This is about noticing and taking some breaths and noticing what I'm feeling as I hold here. And usually we would just hold this posture for maybe 45 seconds to a minute. Yeah. And then stop and just notice, how do I feel about this situation right now? Has it changed? And maybe it's only gone down a little bit. Maybe now it's at a five instead of a seven. So maybe I come back here and I hold again. And what this actually is supposed to do, there are reflexes here on the front of um, the forehead. So the specific points are actually between the eyebrows and the hairline, kind of in line with the eyes. Yep. Trying to describe for those who aren't seeing the video. And... (laughs) These are reflexes um, that actually were discovered way back in the 30s. And what they are supposed to do is help bring blood flow to certain areas of the body. So it feeds the stomach meridian and helps to balance the emotions that are being experienced in that space. But also on a more neurological level, it encourages blood flow to the frontal neocortex. And this is the part of our brain that allows for things like creative problem solving. Yeah. So when we're stuck in our our reptilian brainstem brain, that's our like fight, flight, instinctive response kind of brain that immediately wants to scan things for danger and go into like high alert as soon as we think there might be danger. And when we hold here, it's like, okay, now we can allow the front of our brain to have the driver's seat. And that allows us to start thinking about how we might want to deal with something. We can be more logical. We can be more creative. We can think about things in a new way. We can go, that wasn't really that scary anyway. Um, It just allows us to kind of reassess. And it's just something so simple that most people notice results with right away. Um, So this is something I share with lots of people. I'm going to try that after this, but I don't think you did. Well, I don't remember you doing that in the last one. It sounds amazing. Brilliant. And, you know, you said about um, putting your hands between the eyebrows and the hairline. Mm -hmm. Is that I mean, I'm probably going completely off on another planet. But, you know, when you've got a headache, you have a tendency to hold the front of your forehead. Is that some kind of subconscious realization that that helps? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you if you look up certain acupressure points and certain reflex points, you will see things that we do instinctively. Yeah. Um, you know, if you are searching through stock photos for stress, yeah. you'll see all these people going. <sighs> exactly. Yeah. And holding exactly these reflex points, yeah. right? If you search for people experiencing pain, you'll see lots of people going like this and, you know, yeah. kind of squeezing the spot. Yeah. 
And if you look this up in um, traditional Chinese medicine, these points right here, this is bladder two. These are points for pain. Like, oh, right. Yeah. This is your body's instinct and intuition kind of yeah. driving you into things that are going to help you feel better. Oh, it's incredible. Huh. <laughs> and these points that I was just um, showing you for yeah. stress, uh, I have a friend in Ireland. Her name is Jer Casey. Yeah. And she actually did a series of experiments um, showing how people holding these points was having a measurable effect on high blood pressure. Really? And bringing blood pressure down. Yeah. The research environment. So I have got, um, we featured some of her research in the magazine a few months back, or there's interviews with me and her on my YouTube channel. Yeah. It, it just, it was so glorious because this was something that you could measure. Yeah. Right? yeah. This is what the blood pressure looks like when they're thinking about the stress thing. They do this for a few minutes. This yeah. is what it looks like now. It's amazing. Incredible. I should have to tell my brother he's got high blood pressure. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I had no idea. Huh. Okay. So um, carry on. I interrupted you there, but it just made me think because the other day I was holding my head because, you know, and I, because you said it's, it's those points, I just wondered if there was a link. So, right. And so what other things can you suggest that we can do I mean is there a difference between how to manage emotional overload compared to informational overload or do they all get mixed up in the fight or flight type reflex I think they get mixed up yeah you know because it's all the same I mean and when I say it's all the same it's because in in my work um you know, I'm really kind of trained to think of everything as just being frequency. Yes. Right? So all information has a frequency. Yep. And whether that information is coming from a physical issue in the body or whether it's yep. coming from information I'm consuming or whether it's coming from my emotional response is all kind of the yep. same. Yes. So I'm always looking for just ways of helping to cancel out any frequencies yep. of stress yep. and bring the body into more of a state of balance. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know if you've probably heard the term before, um, psychoneuroimmunology. Uh, no. Okay. no. <laughs> Do explain. <laughs> well, okay, so it, it is what it sounds like, psychoneuroimmunology. Yeah. This is a field of study that came into existence, I believe, in like the late 90s is yeah. when this sort of started being a thing. And it is just acknowledging the fact that your immune system and your nervous system and your emotions are all totally interwoven, right? And that when we are stressed, there is like an actual effect on the immune system. Yes. It happens. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, I find this interesting because obviously... We have all been um, exposed to actual threats to our immune system this last year, right? But I found myself at the beginning of all of this in 2020 kind of going, okay, throughout history, there have been times where there have been these horrible plagues that have decimated populations and, you know, left a scar on on history. And yet... In all of them, there are stories of these, you know, doctors, midwives, nurses, 
um, just regular people who kind of like walked through the whole thing and took care of everyone and never got sick. Yeah. And I found myself kind of stopping and going, well, what's the difference between the person who walks through, I mean, not even COVID, the person who walks through the Black Plague (laughs) and takes care of their entire village and never gets sick. And the person who's exposed and dies that, that day, you know, where, what is the difference? And so I started really looking at these concepts of resiliency and how do we build our own immune system resiliency? Yeah. And, you know, um, we could talk about nutrition and lifestyle and all of those things, but from a more energetic point of view, I think we build a lot of that resiliency through our own thoughts and intentions and through our own emotions. Yeah. And so like, Working with this idea of psychoneuroimmunology, my thoughts and my frequency create my immune system in a very real way. Mm, yeah. And so the more we can do to kind of keep that in alignment with where we want to be, the better. Yeah, yeah because the stronger it makes us for everything. Right. Oh, interesting. Huh. It's incredible things. All the the mind-body health interaction and, you know, how it's linked. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, I think I'm very lucky. My mum, she didn't like normal doctors. She was very much into homeopathic and natural and things like that. So, I mean, she's, well, she would be ancient if she was still alive. Um, But it was a very unusual way to think. But I'm so glad that she did think like that. Because for me, I've always been totally open to the idea of, something that is not traditional medicine uh, because I think it's more natural there are so many possibilities with it so with everything you're saying about the links um, about the connection about how to protect ourselves better like that I think it's just well it's so obvious and there's so many possibilities with that it gives us like a an added protection to everything even to our our daily life, you know, the the stress of work, if we can build it up, we have less stress, etc. So that's another thing I wanted to ask you. With everybody being stressed and all the sort of negative impacts that there are going around, uh, around us, what can we do practically to try and change that and to achieve a better lifestyle? I mean, I know you've done something that I would love to do, you know, going off and living in the jungle, but I'm not sure that everybody would quite like to have that as their solution. So if you think of the normal corporate person, what can they do to just try and improve, you know, to have a better lifestyle, to to manage things better, to reduce their stress, to be more healthy? Okay. Well, if we take that idea of what I was just saying before about um, understanding that our energy affects our immune system. In traditional Chinese medicine, there is a concept of something called Wei Qi. And lots of people have heard of Qi, right? Like Qi being the energy that flows through your meridians. Um, And you can do exercises like Tai Chi, which help to move that. Wei Qi is a defensive Qi. Yeah. And the idea is that it is like the 
in TCM, it would be written up as the thing that helps you to fight against the pernicious influences. So in um, Chinese medicine, there's this idea that illness doesn't come from virus and bacteria and that sort of thing. You know, we're looking at a system that's thousands of years old. They would call it more heat or damp or dryness, right? Yep. Um, those are the, the pernicious influences. So the way qi helps us to block that so that we don't become affected by those external energies that can make us sick. Yep. And when I was looking at these concepts of resiliency, um, I came down to, you know, I'm comparing traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic and allopathic and looking at where we see the crossovers between these things. Yeah. And um, our immune system is sort of controlled by the thymus. Yeah. And the thymus, we can look at in a few different ways. Like it is a training ground for T cells and helping to make sure that the immune system is responding properly to stress. Um, but if you look at more of an Ayurvedic health um, concept, yes, model is the word I'm looking for. There we go. <laughs> uh, there's a concept that the heart and the thymus are linked energetically. And they sometimes call um, the thymus chakra, like the higher heart. extra energy center and so there's this idea that it is the emotion of the heart and specifically love and gratitude that feeds into that energy center and then like primes and charges our immune system yeah so i mean on the most fundamental level the more time we can spend in a state of love and gratitude the better right and lots of people talk about that you hear lots of people talk about like gratitude journaling or you know, every night before you go to bed, think of three things that you're grateful for, or all of yeah. those things. And I think sometimes we write that off as being, it's silly, right? It's such a small thing. How could that possibly actually matter? But if you look at it from this point of view, like that energy charging the thymus, which is then the coordinating center for your immune response, and then feeds into this energy that protects you, yeah. it's that serious stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, the other thing with this, hmm, I had mentioned earlier about how I think people are much more aware right now of the need for like self-care yep. that sort of thing. Um, one thing that I really noticed in moving to, you know, a Latin America country is there is a change in the culture around work. Yeah. Which is not to say that people don't work hard. People work really hard. My neighbors work really hard. Um, But there is this idea that like your family time, your rest time, your Sunday routine of church and family and eating together and everything like that, that those things are just as important as the work. Yeah. And um, when I talk to people who are still in more of a corporate setting, and there's that idea of, uh, I would call it the glorification of busyness. Oh. Like when you talk to someone yeah. and it's like, how are you? And busy, 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 busy. Oh, I know, right? I know. It drives me insane. <laughs> like if you not absolutely run off your feet busy, yeah. that you're obviously not accomplishing anything. You know, that, that kind of mindset is not really serving us very yes. well. Yeah. And then that gets combined with this idea um, you know, I, I feel like we all need to stop and kind of go, what does self-care actually mean to us? Because when you look at the pictures, you know, 
people talk about self-care on Instagram and stuff like that. And it's almost like, well, it means having a facial and a bubble bath, right? (laughs) And, you know, we can't all do spa days every week. That's not necessarily, and that's not necessarily what feeds each of us. We all have different things that feed us. Yeah. And um, so taking some time to kind of stop and go, like, what do I need in order to feel supported and cared for? Yeah. Right? And then making sure that that bit gets met. So, I mean, this might sound silly to some people, but food is really important to me. Anyone who knows me knows that food is like really important to me. (laughs) And so especially when I'm in the time of year where I'm teaching a lot of classes and I don't have time to necessarily be preparing proper meals every day, um, my daughter and I have gotten into a habit of every Tuesday afternoon is a food prep day. That's a good idea. And so we will like make bone broth and I'll set up my ferments and I'll make my kombucha and maybe I'll make a big thing of salad that I know is going to serve lunches for the next couple days yep. and a big pot of something that's going to be supper tonight and tomorrow. And, the yep. Day yep. and, you know, I'll bake something. So there's treats in the freezer and something so simple, knowing that even if I'm teaching and I don't have time I only have, or if I have a full client day and I only have a few minutes to run up and grab lunch between people, that I can put something in my body that feels good. I'm not just grabbing junk because that's all I have time for. Um, You know, and that holds me through the afternoon. It holds me physically, but it also holds me like emotionally and energetically because I'm not getting a sugar crash. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, To me, that's self-care. Yes. Right. And so those little things like figure out what you need in order to be supported and um, make sure that you're investing in those things. Yeah. Because it does look different for each of us. That's such good advice, because as you say, it is little and it's simple, but it's so powerful because if you um, I'm sort of obsessive about food. Um, and that you need to eat well for your brain to work well for your body to work well so for me the the biggest success ever in whatever way you measure it starts with what you eat because if you don't eat good food nothing else is going to be good if you eat really good food your brain works well your emotions are well everything interacts well you've got energy I mean, you can see I'm getting my obsessive rant into my voice already, but I do think it's incredibly important. Um, And then sleep and doing some exercise and the whole thing. But it is the little things. If you just take the time for yourself to realize that's what's going to make you feel better, that's what's going to give you a more positive outlook, I think you can cope with so much more. And if you start with something positive going in the right direction, it grows. It's like if you've got a really happy colleague in the office who's always happy, it's catching. You know, it's it's like they pass their positive vibes on to you. Even if you want to be the grumpiest person in the world, if they're yeah. laughing and smiling, you know, you'll get a tiny little twitch of a smile starting because you just can't resist. So... I think, yeah, I agree totally. I think that's wonderful advice. So (laughs) thank you for that one. Um, I know 
I've taken up loads of your time already, but I know you did mention to me about um, epigenetics. And I am fascinated. So I have to ask you, tell me more about what you're doing. I know it's one of your, your new projects and you've been working on several new projects, but I saw epigenetics and I was like, okay, I'm curious. So tell, well, I'm sure a lot of people won't even know what it is. I've got a vague idea of what it is. So can you explain and how you're using it, what you're doing with it? Sure. Uh, and you might, I mean, if I just start talking far too much, you might have to like <laughs> shut you up, <laughs> shush me at some point, um, because my family will tell you this is all I've been talking about for months now. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is partly because um, there is a company that I work with, which is called Novative, yeah. and this company is basically set up to be a um, online database for practitioners. We have lots of really interesting information there that people can access. Uh, we originally thought of it being like Wikipedia for practitioners, you know, where you yeah. could look up acupoints and techniques and muscle tests and find everything you need, and we could all yeah. contribute to it. And uh, last year, we started doing these collaborative workshops where, you know, traditionally in the kinesiology world, if you wanted to learn something about muscle testing, you might attend a workshop with me or with one of my colleagues. Yeah. Um, for these workshops, basically what we've done is taken a big subject, something that's kind of cutting edge and fascinating, and given a chunk of it to each of four different instructors yeah. to kind of write content about and look at this aspect of, and then we're putting them together so that you can kind of see this topic from a few different points of view and work with it with different kinds of techniques. Yeah. So in itself, the idea is really fun. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be part of this, and uh, I, the part that I'm working with is working specifically with emotions yeah. and the way that emotions and energy are affecting epigenetics. So um, epigenetics as a concept, it really comes down to, okay, look, you've got a certain amount of genetic information in your body. That's just there. It comes from your parents, right? Most people are kind of aware of, of how DNA sort of works, yeah. right? But there's also the fact that, like, if DNA was all there was to it, then, for instance, identical twins would continue to be identical yeah. through life. And they would get sick with the same illnesses, and they would probably yeah. die very close to each other. But that's not actually what happens, right? On average, identical twins die 10 years apart. There are huge differences that start to occur on a health and cellular level somewhere in there. How can that be if DNA is really what it all comes down to with the body? Or you look at how um, there are certain illnesses that seem to run in families, and then you have somebody come along that has no problems whatsoever, yeah. right? Yeah. Why? Um, so epigenetics is really looking at the science of how certain genes become expressed. Yeah. And there's all kinds of really technical things with that. We could talk about methylation and acetylation of certain genes and all of that, but we won't. No, <laughs> because that would be straight over my head, right? Yes. Well, and it's, it's just not as much fun to talk about. The part that I really get into and that I really enjoy talking about is looking at how 
okay, the way that you're experiencing emotions and the way that you feel about what's happening in your life right now, that is changing your genetic expression, right? Right, yeah. And there's all kinds of experiments that show that some of these effects are transgenerational. So there's all kinds of experiments that show, for instance, um, one of the very popular experiments that you can find really easily online was done with um, rats that were conditioned to have a fear response to a certain scent. Yeah. And so, you know, every time the scent was introduced to the rats, they get a little shock. Yeah. Right. And you can see how in these rats, then there's certain um, neural pathways that become kind of activated, right. That are linking this chemical exposure to like pain, fight, flight kind of responses. Well, what they found though, is that you can trace this same issue down generations of rats really and so you know four and five generations of rats later the same pathway is activated and pronounced and they show the same fear response to this certain chemical even though they haven't gone through that kind of fear conditioning really so an emotional response has been passed down genetically and not just with females, it gets passed down through the males as well. Right? So like these are things that are actually leaving semi-permanent marks on yeah. the genes. And there's experiments that have been done that show things like, um, you know, a couple generations down from Holocaust survivors, you have a much higher tendency towards PTSD in people. Oh, really? Even if those people haven't gone through anything yeah. extreme traumatic right yeah there's all kinds of experiments that have been done in the last um 20 years especially that are really showing that okay like how we experience the world around us changes the way that our bodies express certain genes so in some ways this is difficult for people to get their heads around because um you know as women, as moms, we sometimes feel a little guilty. Like my immediate response when I'm reading some of these things is, oh my goodness, what have I passed to my I children? Like, how are they? <laughs> yes. Have I completely damaged them even more than I thought I had? <laughs> <laughs> yep. My poor kids. <laughs> my poor kids. But the other side of it is that um, when you read these things, they're also talking about how the, the fact that this response happens to trauma and emotion means that you can also undo it. Yep. And you can do the positive side. You can do the positive side. The plasticity works both ways, right? Yeah. It works to kind of set up the gene in that way, but it also works in the opposite way. So in some ways, this is extremely empowering. Um, If you read like Dr. Bruce Lipton's stuff, he really gets into the positive side of this that what this means is, look, your DNA does not really define you. Your interpretation of the world around you defines you, which means you are an active co-creator for every cell in your body. That's interesting. So are you taking that and working with that with people, or are you still at the sort of the researching stage what stage have you got with that it sounds fascinating well with this workshop um 
in my part of it, I've yeah. been writing protocols to help, first of all, acknowledge where there is stress in the body. Yeah. Like if there is stress on this genetic level, yeah. and then where does this stress come from, right? What are the yeah. emotions of the trauma or whatever that has caused this response? Because we remember that if there's an epigenetic response, it's because your body decided at that moment in time that that was the best way to, to save yeah. you. Like yeah. that was your body making a decision going, yeah. this is what's going to help us to survive. Yeah. So there was a reason why we ended up in a certain pattern. So we want to acknowledge that, but then we can kind of take out that stress through the kinesiology techniques. Yeah. And then it's about, okay, how do we want to be seeing the world around us then? Right. And I want to make it clear, you know, because I know when I say that, there's this whole like, well, we have to live in the real world. We can't walk around with rose colored glasses all the time. You know, you have yeah, to be but pragmatic. But <laughs> you can acknowledge that not everything is perfect around yeah. you. Still be able to feel a state of love and gratitude. For exactly. What's here. Yeah. You can, yeah. you can, yeah, you can see the problems, but you can see the positive side. You can look for the silver lining instead of the cloud, basically. So it can help you change that way. Oh, I think that's amazing. Yeah, you're going to have to tell me more. I don't, don't want to sort of drive everybody crazy by talking about it for ages, but I think that sounds absolutely brilliant. So, and so you're doing, you're giving workshops on it or you're working individually with people on it or a mixture of both? A mixture of both. So this workshop that I'm really excited about right now is coming up in October. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the one where I get to work with three other instructors. Yep. Because, of course, it's not just the emotions that affect yep. epigenetics. There's another woman who'll be discussing how electromagnetic frequencies affect our genetic expression. Yep. And someone else getting into more of the nutritional aspect because yep. you know, our, our food choice is affected as well. Yeah. And, so all of that is happening in October. Um, however, the research that I've been doing you know, in preparation for this class, I've been reading and experimenting and writing and working on protocols for the last, you know, nine months. Yeah. And so that is filtering into my sessions with my clients right Brilliant. now. And um, so the, the, are you doing all of these things um, online or face-to-face? -face? I mean, can, like we're virtual, you're in Costa Rica, I'm in the UK. Is it something we could do with me as the patient, you as the, the practitioner, or do you actually have to have someone physically with you? Because I know with some of these things, you've actually got to have the person there because you need to be able to feel, et cetera, et cetera. So I do both. Um, ah, oh, I, do have, <laughs> I do have clients who come here, you know, we're yeah. in my client space yep. right now, I've got my table set up behind me. Um, I do have people who come here and who I work with in person. And I really do feel like in person is best. Yes, obviously. Possible. Yeah. However, if there's one thing that we've really learned from quantum physics and from understanding the way that energetic fields work, it's that intention and the entanglement of energy, like we can tap into and be affected by someone's yep. energy from a distance. Yep. Um, so I do work with clients all over the world oh, and, and it yeah. works. Like yeah. it, it absolutely works. Yeah. So. And, and the, the workshop in October, is that going to be 
um, just people or is that going to be online as well? That one's going to be online. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Two of the instructors are in the UK, like yourself. Oh, right. Okay. Myself <laughs> yeah. Here. yeah. Uh, and yeah, that one's all going to be online. If anyone's interested in finding out more about that, you can yeah. through um, nolative.com. Yeah. Will you send me all of the links and I'll make okay. sure that I put all of the links on the, the page because I'm definitely interested already. <laughs> so I think it's amazing. That's brilliant. So. Well, and if anyone's looking for a really easy, um, like easy to understand, easy to get into ground level uh, on epigenetics, Bruce Lipton's stuff is amazing. Okay. And he has, um, he wrote the book Biology of Belief, which is, um, oh, it must be about 30 years old now. Yeah. Maybe not quite that old, but you know, he was the one that really, he was one of the scientists that worked on the Human Genome Project, yep. and he was one of the first ones to bring these concepts uh, of epigenetics to the general public, because he writes about it in a way that's very easy to understand. Yeah. And then he has a YouTube channel where he has lots of great information, um, and his newer book is called Spontaneous Evolution. Okay. And again, it's the same, same idea that yeah. we have much more influence over our own genetic expression than we sometimes think. Yeah, that's great. So when are you going to write a book about all of this? <laughs> In my spare time. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> I mean, right now I'm, I'm just so interested in writing the course material and I'm yeah. really enjoying doing that. And so that's the focus. And we'll see if it ever becomes something yeah. else. After that, you'll have to sort of, you know, put some of it into a book format and sell that because I think it would be great. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. Can I ask, do you have any final piece of wisdom or strategy that you can leave us with? Final piece of wisdom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Put you on the spot here. Right? Anything right. that we can sort of keep in mind that, you know, it's just going to help us going forward. Okay, do you want a practical thing or a philosophical thing? Whichever you prefer, whichever you feel, let's do the, you know, feeling, whatever you feel is going to be most useful. Let's do one of each then. Okay. okay. <laughs> Good. So I showed you a practical thing with the ESR. Yep. Um, there is a technique, it's an old school kinesiology technique, which is sometimes called a thymus thump, or yep. it is sometimes called the four thumps. In fact, you can see pictures of this on Pinterest if you type in four thumps. Right. Um, <laughs> It's really simple. Um, and what you start by doing is usually you cross your hands and you tap here under your collarbone. Yeah. And while you tap here, you take some deep breaths. And you're tapping with a fair bit of, it's, it's a firm tap. Yeah. You do that for a few seconds and then you come here and you tap on the sternum. Yeah. And same thing. I'd usually do it for a little longer than this. And then at the bottom of your rib cage. And what you're actually doing when you're doing these taps is you are stimulating various meridians as well as the thymus and um, the spleen, which is another seat of immune response function in the yeah. body. You're kind of getting the kidneys, the spleen, the thymus, um, and it's a stimulant for all of those things. And it is considered an old, ah, like immune tonic, like something that yeah. you do every day to get your immune system up right. and Mm-hmm. Okay. And it 
feels really good when yeah. you do it. Again, if you want to take a moment and like notice your energy before you do it, do it. Notice how you feel after. I notice if I'm feeling congested, if I'm feeling kind of grumpy, if I'm just a little bit under energy, it seems to make me feel better. Um, and so it's something I've been showing people how to do this here as like, you know, here's an everyday thing just to kind of help you feel better as you move through your day. And then if we were going to talk about something a little more philosophical, I think that, uh, you know, I know I'm repeating myself a little bit here, but the whole thing about the epigenetics is that we are not ever a slave to our own genes. We're not a slave to our own DNA. And sometimes we get in the habit of kind of going, well, you know, it's a genetic thing or I can't help it. It runs in my family. This is just the way it's always been. But we actually have a lot more flex than we sometimes think we do. Yeah. And in, um, in a time where it feels like a lot of us have been very disempowered, let's say, yeah. Yeah. you know, what we are able to do, what we're able to say, what we're able to write, like all of these things have been kind of tamped down a little bit in this last 18 months or so. Um, anything that helps you to feel more empowered and like you are in charge of your life and your destiny and your body, yeah. I think is, is a glorious thing. So when we take in that knowledge and when we share it with our children, like we are empowering ourselves and them and helping to kind of fight some of the cognitive overload, um, yeah. um, you know, information overwhelm that we are experiencing right now. And hopefully that helps us to kind of get through everything together. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you very much. I'm definitely going to start doing the tapping particularly when you said, if you're feeling grumpy, that would be very good for me. Right? <laughs> and yeah, yeah, the idea of the power. Thank you. That's amazing. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I really appreciate everything that you said. Um, do send me, you know, every possible link that you think can be useful. And I know, I think you mentioned you've got a YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. do you show videos of certain exercises and things like that? and talk yeah. more about it okay because if you can send me the link to that because i'm sure people will be very interested in watching that and learning more about it so thank you very much it's been great seeing you um and definitely if you have time i would love to invite you more often to take part in this because it's wonderful so thank you so much and thank you for all you're doing you're very welcome so thank you, everybody, for watching or listening, whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast. We've been speaking to Alexis Costello in Costa Rica um, and learning everything about how to really help our mind-body health. Uh, listen in again next week, and I will speak to you all again soon. Have a lovely evening.